Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And we thank you for joining us for an episode that you can already tell in the description is going to be focusing on the great Christian author and thinker named Clive Staples Lewis, commonly referred to as C.S. Lewis or uh, referred to by his friends as Jack. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're going to be digging into... Um, kind of just an introduction. I don't think this is going to be the headiest episode of oh, Reform no. Podmatics ever, but um, we've done already one biographical episode on Herman Bovink, just trying to introduce listeners to um, some thinkers in the Christian world so that you would go beyond the podcast world a little bit and dig into some mm. the the written page, um, yeah, pick up definitely. a book, uh, pick up a Kindle, and... Uh, feed your soul with uh, some really good stuff. And so uh, we're going to be talking about C.S. Lewis and kind of introducing him. Maybe for those who already know a lot about C.S. Lewis, this could be a reminder to to dig into some of his good stuff. And to somebody who's maybe a new Christian or doesn't do a lot of reading outside of the Bible, um, we could uh, direct you towards some some good resources. Hmm. Yeah, we definitely don't have the corner on on the market here. <laughs> yeah, a whole podcast called the C.S. Lewis podcast, done by Premier Christianity, the same group that does uh, the Unbelievable podcast, for example, which Mark and I both listen to. I think almost every week. It's yeah, part of most our weeks for sure. Weekly diet, yeah. um, and so if you're interested in listening to a real expert named Alistair McGrath, who is, I would say, quite easily the world's leading C.S. Lewis expert. Um, that that's a great podcast. Uh, it's basically just an interview with him, and so um, this is just an int- in, an introduction, as Mark said. And we're not trying to be experts. We don't claim to be. Mm-hmm. Neither of us have read all that much of C.S. Lewis. Actually, there's lots of books of Lewis that I have not touched. Um, but we'll start out with just with just giving a little bit of a life, uh, quick biography mm-hmm. of C.S. Lewis. Um, so we can say that he was born right before the turn of the century in the year 1898, so that right at the end of the 19th going into the 20th century. And he's born in Northern Ireland, and he lived until the year 1963. So he lived through both of the world wars, mm-hmm. and those uh, factor significantly into C.S. Lewis's life and story. Um, he was a soldier in the First World War. Uh, he was in France and actually got injured and was... Um, discharged and was able to go on leave and that allowed him to go and to study mm. where he studied at Oxford um, and he studied he tried to be a philosopher that was his, his main aim but he ended up studying literature and becoming a literature don at Oxford for many years before finishing his life in Cambridge um, but along the way he has a very interesting mm. story of conversion and so he's famously known as somebody who uh, while he grew up in a church and was baptized as a young child, basically lived an irreligious life, to say the least, mm. and 
in his early teen years through the influence of one of his tutors um, and through his college or high, high school, we could say. It's not really high school in England, but <laughs> through those high school years and through it, his years in university, he became a pretty hardened atheist um, and materialist. And eventually, over the course of his early adulthood, his 20s and 30s, uh, we could say that theism caught up to him, and not only theism, but Christianity. Mm-hmm. This God that he had sort of turned his back on for most of his life began began to hunt him down, he would say, in his own words. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we know him today as a great famous Christian author, but his story is a really fascinating story of uh, returning to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming a Christian, and as some people would, in his own life would, would refer to him as the most converted person that they knew, mm-hmm. the most thoroughly converted Christian that they knew. He was a very, very strong layman. He was never ordained. Um, he remained an Oxford professor in literature for, for years and years, particularly medieval literature, mm-hmm. but was a strong Christian and wrote many books that in one way or another have to do with Christianity. So what are some of the books that Lewis wrote mark well his most famous works are his fiction works the chronicles of narnia which have been recently turned into movies um and uh yeah you can see a lot of influence from john bunyan's pilgrim's progress in some of his work especially another one of his books called the great divorce Mm. um and so it helps maybe if people know he was best friends with J.R. tolkien um, with a group called the Inklings, they would get together uh, at a, a pub, which I know Zach has uh, visited, <laughs> yes. um, and uh, in, in Oxford, <laughs> and uh, they would they would I would guess talk not just theology but creative. It would be in such a privilege to be a fly on the wall of those conversations. Yeah, a lot of it um, was just about their different books that they were writing, yeah. whether it was theology or something else, and mm-hmm. they would read sections and criticize them and help each other make their books and their works better yeah and probably quite a bit of current events discussion i would guess as well along the way and and so the reason that i bring that up for lewis's sake is um people are probably familiar with the lord of the rings trilogy Mm -hmm. and the hobbit um the narnia series is definitely more for children than those very very thick books by tolkien but has a lot of the same uh Christian mythology, I would probably call it. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's not really meant to be like uh, people would sometimes read the Narnia books and just say Aslan is Jesus. Aslan is like Jesus. Well, I don't I don't think Lewis would be so quick just to say, oh well, that's just a one to one perfect correlation yeah. all the time. It's uh, I think that of course he would be more careful probably mm-hmm. in how he describes his mythology. It's a representation of the character of God maybe in a way or yeah. something that um, that God teaches us in this world can be represented creatively in another world. That mm-hmm. That's kind of the point of the whole Narnia books. Um, right. And, yeah. and uh, so I don't think it's meant to teach pure theology you might say mm-hmm. as a one-to-one correlation but it's meant to stir the imagination and teach us truths about uh truths about the christian life in a lot mm-hmm. of ways about human nature mm-hmm. about uh also the nature of god and so that happens all throughout 
the the seven books of the Chronicles of Narnia series. Um, hmm. Beyond that, his most well-known work would be called Mere Christianity. Um, and so Mere Christianity really being a reference to simple, basic mm-hmm. Christianity. Um, mere, not mere Christianity in the sense that it's um, just this little thing that you don't need to pay much attention to. That's kind of what the word mere is yeah. used as in our modern vocabulary. But mere Christianity being um, kind of a pure, basic form of our faith. What is the Christian hmm. faith at its root, at its core, really about? That's what he was was writing about in mere Christianity. Yeah, and he's writing that book at a time when the cross currents of Christianity from all over the globe are now beginning to sort of coalesce in the in the modernizing world, whereas hundreds of years before Lewis came around, Christians were basically geographically mm. localized. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in one country, it's a, it's, it's a Christian it's, nation. It's, it's yeah. a German nation. Yeah. You're probably a Lutheran. You know, and yeah. if you're in Spain, you're probably a Catholic. And mm-hmm. if you're in the Netherlands, you're probably just going to be reformed. Um, and so by the t- 19th and 20th century, as industrialization happens and globalization begins to happen, there was a lot of Christians coming into contact with one another mm. um, and things became more complex. And so Lewis is writing in that milieu speaking to what's, what, what sort of keeps Christians of all different stripes united? What are those main things? And that's one of the big ideas of mere Christianity. Um, but he does write a lot of, of fiction and mm-hmm. Mark has read more of the fiction than I have. I've only read a couple books from the Chronicles of Narnia, not even all of them. Um, but he writes The Great Divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, he writes the so-called Space Trilogy, um, which is not really for children as far as I know. I haven't read it. I've not read them either. Um, but, yeah, I've I've read more of his... Uh, apologetics. His apologetics sorta. works. Yeah. More, more uh, straightforward apologetics mm-hmm. books like Mere Christianity or The Problem of Pain I've read most of. Um, I've never read Miracles. I'm just looking at the list of books here that, that he's written. Uh, I know there's books I would like to read. Uh, one of them would be The Abolition of Man. That, that book is on the agenda for me sometime, I think, this year. I've um, just been hearing a lot about it and how useful it would be to think about in our current cultural context. So there's a lot of stuff that he's mm-hmm. writing. He also writes some scholarly books about medieval literature mm. uh, that even, from what I can tell, uh, academics still refer to today in highly regard mm. um, but yeah there's a lot of different angles to C.S. Lewis but we're of course trying to get at the Christianity of C.S. Lewis and particularly the lessons we can learn and so uh, if we were to describe the theology of C.S. Lewis and how it's been influential for us uh, maybe we could both just mm-hmm. each take a stab at one yeah. of the most influential, important things theologically that we've learned from Lewis. Uh, for me, I could say that the big, the biggest lesson I've learned is Lewis's, I don't know, generosity to other Christians, mm. and and particularly in his book *Mere Christianity*. But also one of the most impactful things I've ever read by C.S. Lewis, um, probably the most impactful thing I've ever read by C.S. Lewis comes from an essay he wrote for uh, a translation that happened in his lifetime of St. Athanasius's On the Incarnation. Um, And so he was asked to write the introduction to this. And in the introduction, he basically writes what 
could be considered a justification for historical theology and for the necessity of Christians to read uh, ancient theology. And he talks, Mm. I don't have any quotes, but he basically says, we do well because we are blind as modern people in certain ways where ancient people weren't blind and they were blind in ways that we aren't blind. And so they could have learned from us, but we can definitely learn from them. And so we should read old books. We should want to see sort of where the mainstream of Christianity has gone uh, so that we can understand what Christianity should look like. We can understand what Christianity does look like in other, uh, in other contexts, both, both uh, geographically and historically. Mm. And we could see if our Christianity maybe is a little bit deficient in the modern world um, and th- there's things that we've lost that we can recover um, or we can see where, oh, actually we're still doing those same things that we've always been doing. Um, we've, we're still praying the Lord's Prayer, and that's a good thing. Christians have always been doing this. Mm. And so that essay for me is really influential in the way that I think um, we as Christians do not want to have innovative thought. We do not want to have – we don't want to get up in the pulpit on a Sunday as <laughs> pastors and have something that – is novel. As yeah. novel and nobody's yeah. ever yeah. thought of before. <laughs> and finally, we have come to uh, to see things as they truly are, and everybody else before us has missed it. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons I really love C.S. Lewis. It's sort of his theological outlook on, on the usefulness of mere Christianity, of mm-hmm. historic, ancient, mainstream Christianity. Do I agree with him on everything? No. Uh, we we can talk about purgatory, which is yeah. something he held to. Um, he seems to have uh, more of a Christus Victor view of the atonement, um, and so there's there's little things that, that are worth discussing. But hmm. by and large, I think his his outlook, his disposition towards Christian history, has been very influential for me personally. Yeah, one the thing that I most pull away from any C.S. Lewis writing or uh, stuff that I've read is his what I would call optimistic honesty Um, and here's Mm -hmm. what I mean by that I think he presents real problems and so that's the honesty side of it Hmm. Uh, as I think of The Great Divorce which I think I've read three times um, occasionally The Great Divorce will be very very cheap on Kindle and so Keep your eye out for that if you're a Kindle reader. I, I was um, I was once stuck at the Federal Building in San Francisco waiting for my passport to be renewed. So I was waiting for literally I think five hours, and I noticed that day that the Great Divorce was on Kindle for I think two dollars, and so I bought it while I was sitting there, and I read probably two thirds of the book while I was sitting there. It's not very long in print. It's probably only about 130 pages, um, and so. In that book and in the Narnia series and in things like Mere Christianity as well, he has a real honest assessment of real things that people struggle with. Just mm-hmm. like um, not really painting straw men, um, which can be the way that a lot of Christian literature goes. It, it's almost like um, mm-hmm. people do things that are very foolish for reasons that just on the surface are very foolish. But Mm-hmm. Um, in something like The Great Divorce, where mm-hmm. you have a busload of people from hell getting opportunity to go to heaven, um, he's, he's often showing 
why it is that they really struggle with belief hmm. and with belief in God. And often there is a fairly simple answer to their doubt, but hmm. um, but they are real struggles that people in the real world have. Yeah. So I've always I always appreciate that. Even in the Narnia series, you see people doing things that like I, I would think, well, I might have made that mistake. Um, and, um, and, and you see the foolishness of, of it, of course, in the course of the story. But um, I, I find the honesty of his problems, of the trouble in the story, usually very real. And, but along with that, there's a sort of optimism in yeah. what Christ can do in redeeming very foolish people. <laughs> that's definitely a theme mm-hmm. through the Narnia series as you think of somebody like Edmund in the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe who was a traitor, mm-hmm. um, somebody like Eustace Scrub in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader who's just just an absolute uh, pill to be around, just mm-hmm. super annoying, complaining all the time. And, um, of course, the great transformation in that story is where Eustace becomes a dragon and, uh, and Aslan essentially heals him um, by un- undressing his dragon scales off of him. And so mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of uh, optimism that people can change hmm. in his stories and that, that the Lord can really do a work of transformation in a person's life, but, but not just make it personal, but um, you also have, of course, in the Narnia series, the, the sort of uh, new creation Hmm. narrative um that that there is a remaking of creation itself yeah um, that it, that the lord is well in that story aslan in our context of course hmm. christ is remaking hmm. so um I, I like that optimism while also being really realistic about kind of where people are at yeah um i think that that optim- optimism maybe also connects to lewis's emphasis throughout his works in different ways uh, on the theme of joy and he, towards the end of his uh, life mm-hmm. not not too close to the end but um, he'd been he'd been a Christian for many years uh, he writes surprised by joy which is sort of a spiritual autobiography of how he became a Christian uh, through many twists and turns and he talks a lot about how this idea of joy which he capitalizes with a capital J hmm. uh, is something that he remembers having a sense for even as a child uh, playing games at home or reading certain books um, that this sense that there is something more for him it was sort of like uh, these these really really strange experiences where the supernatural sort of pokes in to reality it sort of breaks mm-hmm. through our our normal everyday experience and we sort of get this sense that there's something deeply different about uh, or something, there's something other and otherworldly mm-hmm. about existence, other than just you know plain material things uh, between just the books in my room and the the table here. There's something really magical, he could say, in Lewis's parlance mm. um, mm-hmm. that that sort of kept poking in at his life. And he would read often what was happened through books, and then in, in his teen years, it was often uh, through Norse mythology. Mm. He would hear stories of the North Norse gods uh, and would have this sense that there's gotta be something more. But as he became a hardened atheist, this, this became a sort of uh, 
those are just cross silly pressure. stories. Yeah, yeah there's a, he, he he still loved them and wanted to mm. to love them, but knew that that's just it's sort of it's silly, it's stupid. Um, and so, as he became an atheist and was wandering through different philosophical schools of thought in his twenties and early thirties, um, he kept getting the sense that there is still something more. There's something beyond just just this world, mm. and so. Isn't that one titled, of the quotes from Mere Christianity? Um, if if there's nothing in this world that satisfies us, mm-hmm. then we must have been made for another world. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So he has the sense that there is this this otherworldly joy which is available to us, and he eventually, as it becomes as he becomes a Christian, realizes that this joy is to be had in sharing communion with God, being being united with with Christ, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better way of putting it. And so, there's a sermon, a famous sermon that he preaches. Um, at his church in Oxford, which he didn't do all the time, but would do occasionally from what I understand. Uh, It's called The Weight of Glory. And this is one of the Mm. most famous Lewis quotes of all time. But he says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so for Lewis, the Christian life, communion with God, was this holiday at the sea. Many people see God as the as the uh, eternal uh, buzzkill, um, the transcendent ruiner of fun. But Lewis knew that God was the pathway to joy. Knowing God uh, was true joy. And so... Uh, I, I love that the, you see all throughout Lewis's books a sort of buoyancy, an effervescence, a lightness, a, a jovial mm-hmm. sense uh, for God redeeming all things, and that this is all glorious because it all is pointing us to God. And so Lewis then realized as he became a Christian, all of these little things that caused him joy were pointing him to God. They were little pricks, you could say, um, a little little needle pokes, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of say, just prodding him on towards towards the divine and to knowing God. Yeah, and one thing that I think, one reason we need Lewis today is that I think a lot of modern, particularly evangelical approaches to joy are a little bit superficial, whereas Lewis's joy had... Um, hmm a significant biblical, theological, philosophical rooting and a, a weight to it. Yeah. Um, that it, it wasn't just like a happiness, but it was full enjoyment of God, full enjoyment hmm. of life. I think yeah. that that is what he would refer to as real joy. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But in our culture today, I think joy often is more to do with the feeling that I have when um, when I'm laughing really hard or mm-hmm. something like that. It, it's mm-hmm. it's so much fuller for that in his theology. And and so yeah. to read Lewis is to really encounter a man full of that enjoyment of life, both in his creative work and his theological work. Mm-hmm. All that that he seems to do is, is sort of drawn on that, but the joy of the Lord is our strength, and that's yeah. an enjoyment of the Lord. It's an enjoyment of life, and that gives you strength for... Uh, work and thinking mm-hmm. and family life and um, intellectual pursuits and all of these different things. So I, I think it's a serious joy. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say Piper probably talks about that, uh, having serious mm-hmm. joy. And Piper 
is the sort of the guy who turned me originally on to mm. C.S. Lewis. To, um, it was, I forget which work of Piper's. It may have just been Desiring God. Mm. He's talking about Lewis's work on um, Reflections on the Psalms. Mm. And Lewis is dealing, that's another book I've read by Lewis. He's dealing with this thought that he has, like why, why does God command us to worship him? Doesn't that seem mm. a little bit selfish? But then he comes to the conclusion that it's actually through through praise that we have the fullest joy. So when you love your wife, for example, um, if you bottle in your appreciation for her and you don't praise her, or you don't tell her how beautiful and how lovely she is, how wonderful she is, that actually sort of puts a halt on your joy. But if mm-hmm. you are able to say, I love you. You're mm-hmm. so amazing. I, I I think you're so beautiful. That actually is the consummation, Lewis says, the consummation of joy uh, is being able to praise. And so God wants us to praise him because he wants our joy to be complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving him praise is, is good for us as well. Um, yeah, that's, so, uh, what is it, First John, right, where we tell you these things to make our joy complete. And mm-hmm. so there's a, a sharing <laughs> yeah. of truth that has to do with um, sort of an overflow of joy from the heart. And yeah. that's that's just Lewis to a T, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, why did he re- write children's books? Why did a great medieval <laughs> literary yeah. scholar sit down and write children's books? You would only have to say it's for the joy of it, mm-hmm. for the joy of uh, thinking about Christian themes how they would work out in mm-hmm. all sorts of creative situations, like for children becoming princes and kings in another world <laughs> and then just returning to England after. It's a it's a cool, creative, joyful expression of mm-hmm. um of, of of his intellect, I would say. So yeah. uh, I think that's um maybe even shifting into the last little section of our podcast as we start mm-hmm. to think about what we appreciate most about about Lewis or maybe what we can learn from him and what we need today, that would be the main thing I think yeah. that we need to learn from him today is that theology would come from a place of joy instead of a, hmm. a desire to win an argument, um, that uh, preaching or uh, what we read and how we even talk with one another could be more creative than just a dispensing of information. Yeah. So for Lewis, it, it absolutely was that. He was not a dispenser of information as much as he was hmm. a, uh, an apologist um, to aiming not just to the mind, but to the heart. Um, hmm. Aiming at the emotions, but not just being emotionalistic. Um, right. I, I, I wonder what C.S. Lewis thought of Jonathan Edwards, actually, as I, I say that, because <laughs> I think that they have a lot in common. That would be interesting. Um, in in the, the appeal to the religious affections, hmm. uh, that seems to be important to, to Lewis uh, in a lot of what he writes. And so uh, I've once heard a pastor say, I forget who exactly it was, but wrote or said that um, stories have a way of getting past our defenses Yep. And so the book, the Narnia books, you're enraptured by the, the story. It's an interesting story. I, I would say some are better than others. Um, hmm. Before we, we started talking, um, Zach said he, he tried reading Prince Caspian, Prince Caspian as a kid, yeah. but it just lost interest. And I would say that is the worst of the Narnia books. Uh, not a lot that happens. explains why. I feel vindicated yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, not a whole lot happens in that book, actually, but... My favorite is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and then second would 
probably be the last battle and then the silver chair would be third place for me because they're they're fun stories they're a lot like pilgrim's progress where there's there's these different scenes and different scenarios that people are sort of in along the way of their journey um and uh voyage of the dawn treader uh, just to give you an idea of what that is uh they the the kids always end up in narnia in some strange way and so most people know in the line the witch in the wardrobe they walk into a snowy forest mm-hmm. even though they were in england um through the wardrobe mm-hmm. and in voyage of the dawn treader they're sort of dumped in the middle of the ocean all of a sudden they find themselves uh swimming to the top of the surface of water and a boat called the dawn treader comes by and picks them up and it's my theory i don't know if this is confirmed but to me that's the church hmm. and um and that's just the boat that they're in and mm-hmm. they're going to have to get along with these people hmm. they're going to have to work with them and to contribute to what's happening in the boat um the yeah. boat is already going to a destination that they they can't really choose the <laughs> destination that it's going to because they got picked up in the middle of the ocean from this boat and uh, I can't help but think often how that is like the church in a lot of ways. Like hmm. we are, um, we're in a church. You are in a church, hopefully, if you're listening to a Christian podcast. And hmm. you got to make the best of it sometimes. Hmm. And you don't really get to pick the destination. And um, that's already set. Hmm. That's uh, for the Christian, of course, is, is heaven, is union with Christ. And um, you can, you know, trust your leaders to get there and so forth. So there's a lot of good teaching that happens there. And the point of my telling that little story is I think that that story for me taught me a lot about the church. And it didn't just say the church is X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And here are the four things that a church should be and should do. Mm-hmm. It was uh, more creative, more, um, it, it showed more than told. Uh, yeah. So in preaching class, they say show, don't tell. I would say show and tell is important in Mm -hmm. uh, preaching and in learning. We want to see what the Christian life should look like instead of just being told what it should look like. Yeah, Lewis knew how to target the imagination. Mm -hmm. Um, This Mm -hmm. is why he loves writing to children because they have strong senses of imagination. Mm. Um, But his books are also helpful for adults, Often we have lost touch with imagination, but we need to have an imagination. It was through the imagination that Lewis tried to convince hearts and minds of truths. And he wanted to see, he wanted to show, I think, and I say this as somebody who's not read all the books, but from I've, I've read far more about Lewis. Mm. And so I've read lots of biographies of Lewis, but mm. not read uh, <laughs> as much by Lewis, which I know I say that to my shame. <laughs> but given that perspective, I do know a lot of his intent for writing his books from himself. Uh, and often it's to show, it's to make a case for things um, and to show the goodness of Christianity as it's lived out through story. Mm-hmm. And so his stories teach all sorts of things without actually explicitly teaching much of anything. Mm. Uh, and they sort of um, guide our hearts to want to live a certain way in the world. Um, we want to fight against evil. We want to be a part of, of a battle. We mm-hmm. want to have an uh, adventure. We want to have an adventure. That's, yep. what, that's, what, that's what our lives are, are all about in some sense. And that's all good things. And so Lewis is playing on that and making grand points about courage, about valor, about mm-hmm. kindness, um, virtue, virtue. Yep. He wants to teach all of that. 
in a uniquely Christian way through his books. Uh, yeah, and, so, and to that point, uh, there's he a, a funny little thing he does in the Narnia books is he'll often throw jabs at the English educational system, <laughs> and and so uh, occasionally he, he was not a fan. Yeah, really. well, well, and the whole reason was it's just about information dump mm-hmm. it, and and how it it's no longer desiring to appeal to the 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 heart, the soul the imagination perhaps mm-hmm. in his day maybe that's changed since then I the don't abolition know. of man gets really into this from what i hear so. yeah and and so there's this funny little part in the voyage of the dawn treader where eustace who's this complaining know-it-all little kid sees a dragon he's off by himself wandering around this island and he sees a dragon and he doesn't even know what it is and mm-hmm. the line from uh from the voyage of the dawn treader is edmund or lucy or you would know what it was because um, you would know that it's a dragon, but then the line is, but Eustace had read none of the right books. <laughs> and so, meaning he probably read lots of math books and science books and hmm. uh, history books, but he had not read anything that stirred mm-hmm. his imagination and told him what a dragon was. Mm-hmm. And so the right books for Lewis include creative fiction, mm-hmm. um, things that, that would, would stimulate the heart as well as the mind. Yeah, so that is one of the big lessons we can take away from from C.S. Lewis is the usefulness of imagination and story um, and and metaphor mm-hmm. in order to make points, to make important points. Um, and so I think that's a good place to end it. I, I, I do think we could also probably mm. sit here and talk for another yeah. 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of material to cover because he's such a complex and interesting figure. Uh, we could talk about more of his theology on certain things, or we could talk about things we maybe disagree with, mm. which there are a few I'm sure we could both come up with. But nevertheless, Lewis is an amazing figure, a helpful figure, a figure that I think is particularly useful in our uh, cultural moment right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. in the the 21st century. And so he's somebody that I think both of us would commend uh pretty strongly for everyone to pick up and to read. Yeah, his his reaction to a secularizing culture was not just mm. they need more information, mm-hmm. which often is the evangelical reaction today. Yep. Exactly. But, and especially the reformed reaction today, but it was winsome, thoughtful, careful, uh, com- uh great combinations often of scripture and general revelation. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, hopefully we've given you uh a hunger, uh, a thirst for uh, picking up one of C.S. Lewis's books. If you're going to start somewhere, uh, I think The Great Divorce is a great place to start. It's hmm. very manageable, very, uh, it's pretty quick paced, actually. Hmm. Um, and uh, Mere Christianity would be a, another good one. Or picking yeah. up a Narnia book, especially if you have kids. Um, I read The reason I read them all is because I have four little children and we <laughs> needed something to read at bedtime after we read the Bible. They laid in their beds and I'd sit in the hall and read uh, Narnia in a loud voice. <laughs> so, um, so that was a fun way to get through them. But thank you for listening to Reform Podmatics this week and uh, God bless you in the rest of your week. Yep, grace and peace, you guys.